Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Making your way back to your seat and getting situated. We're going to continue walking uh, through one of the books of the Old Testament, Zechariah, and it really has a lot of relevance to what's happening today. But before we walk through it, I wanted to ask a question. So this is one of those times where, yeah, feel free, raise your hand. If you're watching online, just type yes or no, even if you're watching this after the fact. Um, Might not be relevant if this is the first time you're watching or your first time here, but it may be for those of you who have uh, either been here and heard us preach through different books of the Bible, or if you've read through different books of the Bible, I just want to find out how many times you guys have seen these themes come up because you've probably heard me talk about these over and over. So uh, for those of you who have been around for a while, how many times have you heard me talk about loving your neighbor as we go through different books of the Bible? Okay, at first there were no hands up, and I was like, I just said this last week. So, okay, good. So you've heard that, right? Regardless of whether we're in the Old Testament, New Testament, heard us talk about loving your neighbor. Uh, Even when we walk through Genesis and when we walk through Exodus, even though God didn't lay it out as a commandment until Leviticus, uh, it's throughout the Bible, right? Uh, What about this theme, share the gospel? How many people have heard me talk about that? Regardless of what book of the Bible we're in, Old Testament, New Testament, talk about, especially not just sharing the gospel, like we've got to go, you know, hand out tracts and beat people over the head with the Bible, but share with the people in our circles of influence, right? Uh, what about this one? This one might be a little bit obscure, be different. And I've said this before, this is the way I phrased it, not that Christians are better than anyone else, because we're not, but we're definitely supposed to be different. Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you're living out God's will for your life, it's going to look different than the person who is it, right? So uh, hopefully you guys have heard me say that before. And that comes up again, Old Testament, New Testament. This one also over and over again, you've heard me talk about that, that we're supposed to treat others better, right? It ties in with love your neighbor. Like Jesus did a whole thing on, you know, treating who's your neighbor, and he talked about the way that you're supposed to treat them, even if they don't look like you, think like you, vote like you, uh, we're still supposed to treat other people better, right? These themes come up throughout the Bible over, over, and over again. They come up in the Old Testament, they come up in the New Testament, they even come up when you're talking about, which is kind of what we're going to talk about today, end times prophecy, Right, which is one of those big weird things that a lot of people don't like to talk about. That's why we started off the beginning of the year. Seems like that was forever ago. Beginning of the year talking about spiritual renewal, right? Getting in a right place spiritually with God. So we're not just coming up with stuff, but we're attuned to what God has for us because God is a spiritual being, right? Now, when you talk about end times prophecy, we're going to talk about that. One of the biggest things that comes up is the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, I've, 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 I was going to say literally, but we just yelled at my cousin for overusing that word over the weekend. So I just had a bunch of conversations over the weekend with people about the return of Jesus Christ. And everyone has all these different perspectives, pre-trib, post-trib, all that stuff. doesn't really matter, right? The fact is he's coming. Uh, there are 
you look throughout the Bible, there were over 300, and I, I forget the exact number, some say 330, some say 320, and it depends on is this actually a prophecy or whatever, but over 300 prophecies about the coming of the Messiah, about Jesus, where he was going to be born, when he was going to, all that stuff. Over 300 prophecies, every single one fulfilled with amazing specificity. None of them were vague. Even the, 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 the most obscure prophecy that you've really got to like, know what's happening to fulfill this, Jesus fulfilled it, every single one, all of them. There are actually over a thousand about his second coming. Right? So, and I've had this question as well. I had this conversation with people. So kind of like a pop quiz. If there were, in the Bible, over 300 prophecies about his first coming, and he fulfilled every single one, how many do you think of the over a thousand about his second coming that he will fulfill? And before anyone, you know, you don't have to raise your hand or answer, but let me just show this. Many of them. Depending on who you ask, I say like maybe 50, 60, some people say a couple hundred of them have already been fulfilled. We're going to talk about one of those today. But the reality is if, again, over 300 fulfilled for his first coming, we should expect, even if there are more than a thousand about his second coming, that every single one of those will be fulfilled as well. And this is what we're going to talk about today, not specifically the prophecies regarding the return of Jesus Christ, but just all, all, all of the whole end times prophecy thing. And how, if at all, does it t- tie into the stuff that we're seeing today? Because you've probably heard people say that verse we shared from Matthew 24, isn't every time there's a war or a conflict that breaks out, people say, oh, there, you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. Yeah, they do. Because it's still true. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, I think is where we are. Zechariah, chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the table or left or right of you somewhere. Um, And even though we're kind of halfway through this, uh, what we're going to talk about today is a little bit different than what Zechariah has been talking about. Because previously he was sharing verses, uh, messages from God with the people of Israel, to say, get back to work rebuilding the temple, doing the thing that God has called you to do, right? Now, uh, even though we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 1, I'm going to go back to verse 23. Because what what our minds tend to do is, we're like, chapter 8, verse 23, then there's a chapter break. So this is a whole new conversation, a whole new chapter. We looked at 8 last week, now we're looking at 9, so there's all this time that's passed. But in that day, here's what happened. As Zechariah was talking, this is literally what he... Literally, sorry. Okay. This is what he said. Verse 23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Now, not to get into what he, he meant, but what Zechariah did was he said this right? Speaking of like end times prophecies, talking about what's going to happen uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, when, when Jesus Christ returns and he reigns on earth for a thousand years, then with the very next breath, even though we didn't talk about this since last week, and even though there's a chapter break, with his very next breath, he says, this is an oracle, the word of the Lord. Now I'm about to read a bunch of names that don't make sense to you. That's okay. Bear with me. 
um, and I probably won't pronounce them right, but just bear with me. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will rest upon Damascus. The eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. And upon Hamath too, which borders on it. And upon Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust. Now, Tyre was a very wealthy city. And gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea. And she will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will see it in fear. Gaza will writhe in agony. And Ekron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king. And Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy Ashdod. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths. And the forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and become leaders in Judah. And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Now, don't get caught up on all the names that we just read. Okay, don't, don't, don't get caught up on that. Uh, maybe next week I'll go into a little bit more detail about that. Here's what we need to know. This is a prophecy that was fulfilled hundreds of years later. And again, he said, here's what's going to occur in the millennial reign. When he was talking about one person will say this to a Jewish person and say, hey, I want to be with you because God is with you. And then with his next breath, he said, here's what's going to happen to all of these cities. Right Now I'm going to put verse 8 up here on the screen by itself. Uh, in the Amplified version, because this is, this is what I want to talk about. After he says, here's what's going to happen to all of these cities, he says this, then I will encamp, this is God saying, I will encamp about my house, some versions say about the temple, as a guard or a garrison, so that none shall march back and forth, and no oppressor or demanding collector shall overrun them. For now my eyes are upon them. So what he says is this, He says, hey, um, yeah, I'm telling you a prophecy about the millennial reign. And as evidence of that, this city's going to be destroyed. This city's going to be destroyed. This city's going to be destroyed. This city's going to be destroyed by fire. This city, which is kind of like an island city by itself and a wealthy city, it's going to be destroyed. This city's going to lose her king. And he says, all of these things are going to happen. And he says, but I, meaning God, I'm going to camp about my house, and some versions say the temple, because for the first couple of chapters, what he was saying is, get back to work, rebuilding the temple. That, that was his theme, trying to get them back to work. And for us, get back to work, we don't have to rebuild the temple, but building God's kingdom, doing what God is called to do. So he says, all these cities are going to be destroyed, but not my house. It's going to remain standing. And he says this because this is supposed to be a sign that God is with them. Now, for those who don't know, this actually was fulfilled. Uh, Alexander the Great conquered all of the cities that we just named in Zechariah 9 in the late 330s BC on his way to conquer Egypt. Every single one of them was conquered with amazing specificity about the way that it's said. The ones that were destroyed by fire were destroyed by fire. The wealthy cities that was an island nation, he just destroyed. Now, here's what happened, right? There's a guy whose name is uh, Josephus. Not the best Christian resource, because he wasn't a Christian, but he was a Jewish historian. 
Some of the things he said, not everyone says that was true. I can vouch for this, that Alexander the Great destroyed all of those cities. You can go look it up, Google history books, dating myself, encyclopedias, if you can find one, if you can afford one. But um, all of those cities were destroyed. This part, Josephus says, I can't vouch for, but he's a historian, so I'm going to say maybe this is true. What Josephus said is that when Alexander the Great approached Jerusalem, He found all of the Jewish priests lined up one by one wearing white robes. So one was standing here, next one here, next one here, next one here, next one here, at the entrance to the city. So all of those cities he destroyed on his way to Egypt got to Jerusalem with the intent, you're done too, but he saw all of the priests lined up in white robes. So he walks up to the high priests, and bows down to him. And then he gets up and goes back to his generals. And his generals are like, what in the ham sandwich? They didn't say ham sandwich, but why in the ham sandwich are you bowing down to worship this man? Why aren't we just destroying this city like every other city? And Alexander the Great, again, reported to say it because I'm not worshiping him I'm worshiping the God he serves. Because, again, Alexander the Great is reported to have said, I had a dream that when I got to this city, it would be filled with men in white robes who would hand the city over to me. And whoever, whatever divine being gave me that dream, said, don't destroy the city. It will be given to you. And when he got there and saw all the high priests lined up in white robes, he bowed down, not as an act of worship to the high priests, but to whatever God he associated with them because he felt like that was a divine message. Again, I can't verify whether or not that is true, but I can verify that every single city that we read about, that we just named off, was destroyed by Alexander the Great. But Jerusalem was not just like God said. And this is part of that. If we see prophecies that God said would happen, and we see they've been fulfilled over and over and over and over again, then when we get to prophecies that talk about like this, wars and rumors of wars, shouldn't we expect that to be fulfilled as well? Because God, so far, his track record on fulfillment of prophecies, 100%. Not because the Bible says so, but because history says so. So when we see something like this, that you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes, all these are beginning of birth pains. Right? And I hear people say, I've had people say to me this weekend, hey, well, haven't people, every time there's a war, every time there's a conflict, don't people say this? It's like, yeah, because we've been technically in the last days since Acts chapter 2, and God poured out his Holy Spirit, and everyone said, hey, what's going on? All you guys are speaking in weird languages. And Peter stood up and said, this is what was prophesied would occur in the last days, because we're in the last days. 
At that time, when Peter said that, granted, the world was totally different. There were pro- you can count probably on two hands the number of conflicts of nation against nation. Now, I don't know about in the past. Think of your generation, however old you are. I don't want to say any age because then people might get offended. Um, however old you are. But at the end of 2020, I think, and I wrote it down just to make sure that I had the right number. At the end of 2020, there were at least 174 nations fighting against one another or nation fighting against itself, civil war conflict. We don't think so because, you know, for us it was just like, hey, our biggest fight is the, the political divide, Democrats versus Republicans, or when something happens racially, black versus white or whatever. That's our biggest divide. And technically we're not picking up arms to kill one another. But this has been increasing over and over, just like the scripture says. That it's, it, granted, right now is not the beginning of birth pains, but it's, it's just proving this scripture true. But then he also says this, at that time, and this has been true too, many will turn away from the faith, which you see people walking away from churches in droves, until things like this happen, or things like the pandemic, where everyone flocked to the church, and then they're like, it's okay, we're going to live, and they went back home. He said, many will turn away from the faith and many will betray and hate each other. And I can't speak for the world, but I can speak for our nation, that the level of animosity that people have against each other, people are finding things to hate each other over that I didn't even know existed before. Like there are, I I knew there's racial divide, right? I know there's political divide, uh, don't judge me. I spend a lot of time on TikTok. I didn't know there was blonde versus brunette divide. I thought that was a joke, but there are literally like people at each other over it. There are people that are, are, are hating one another because of where they live. We're finding more and more reasons to separate and to hate and to divide than ever before. And here's why he says it's going to happen. This is because of the increase of wickedness. And people get mad when we use that church word and say, it's because of sin in the world and people just hate on you. But it's because of sin in the world. And if you think of sin as the lack of in right standing with God, us just wanting to do our own thing, this is like, uh, anyone see that movie, what's called Lord of the Flies? Not the old version that was like PG-13, like the, 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 the newer version that is still kind of old, like where, where the kids are like, like, the kids are trying to kill each other and you don't want to let your kids watch it because it's that wild. Like, that's what we're getting at, where people are just going at one another. And he says, but this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And we talked about this a little bit last week because there's a companion verse to that verse that Peter picks up on that we talk about. Like, he says, hey, the, the, the end isn't going to come until the gospel has been preached in all nations. And last week uh, we talked about this. So I'm going to put this verse up here where Peter says, the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise regarding his return, right? Instead, he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The only reason that Jesus hasn't come back yet it's because he wants us to do our part 
and to share the gospel so that no one gets left out. So uh, he's waiting for everyone to come to repentance. And the only way that's going to happen is if we go out and share the gospel with people in our circles of influence. It's not going to happen, which used to be the thinking. It's not going to happen when we try to get as many people into the buildings as possible. Nowhere is that in Scripture. It is going to happen when the people that come into the buildings, doesn't matter how many, doesn't matter how old, doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, when they're equipped to go out and in their circles of influence as they're doing at work, in their home, uh, in the butcher shops, in the bakers, and say, hey, uh, nice to meet you. Uh, My name is Floyd. Yeah, this is what God has done in my life. Because many of your coworkers, they're not going to step foot in a building like this. Many of your family members aren't going to step foot in a building like this. And they don't have to. The goal is that you go out to your coworkers, to your family members, not beat them over the head with a Bible and try to get them to come to church. It's great if you invite them, but rather that as you invite them into your life and spend time with them, part of you getting to know one another is you sharing, yeah, I'm a Christian because here's what God has done in my life. Not judging them because they're not like you, but inviting them to get to know you. And as you do, sharing, here's what God has done in my life. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and we're going to, uh, we're going to spend some time praying again for, uh, Travis Dean and for, uh, Spike, because this is one of the things that I, if, I, I don't know how many of you guys have ever actually met him, uh, but if you've ever met Travis down the earth, Nice guy, but just breathes and bleeds love for Christ. And if you, if you bump into him in a grocery store, if you bump into him wherever, bump into whatever, sooner or later, if you, as you engage in conversation with him, sooner or later, it's going to turn to not you need to get right with Jesus or whatever, but something's going to come out that doesn't like push you but he's going to reel about him how much he loves the Lord. And the same is true for Spike, although his might come out a little bit more stronger, right? Because uh, uh, his might come out a little bit more stronger. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, uh, but I love him to death. He is like a, a, a gun-toting, pistol-packing, tattooed pastor, right? Like, I have two tattoos, so I don't... I don't get as much attention as he does. And I've shared this with you before. Uh, one of the videos he made was that uh, he was sitting in the Chick-fil-A, because he's from West Mifflin, uh, up here, and uh, with his family, and somebody walked by, saw all his tattoos, and just muttered to themselves, but he and his family heard it, oh, look at that filthy sinner. Because of his tattoos. That's the kind of thing that has stopped people from being able to share the gospel with people in their circle of influence, people with that type of attitude, right? So I want to pray for him. I want to pray for Travis, uh, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, again, we just lift up Travis to you. We pray your blessing upon him. We pray that you would bless his family, and we pray that you would use him in a mighty way to further that message that we just read, being able to use him by your spirit, to bring people into repentance, 
to share and to show the love of Christ with students who can then go out and share and show the love of Christ with their fellow students who can then go out and share and show the love of Christ with their fellow students. And we lift up Spike to you and we pray that you continue to use him to put your word into the hands of anyone who needs it. And we pray for both of them that you would use us to be a prayer resource for them, a financial resource for them, and that we would be a blessing to them so that they can continue to be a blessing to you. And we pray as we read that you would impress it upon us, Lord, not to beat people over the head with the Bible, but to go out as you allow us to, to share the gospel with folks in our circles of influence and be able to share, here is what God has done in my life. And I pray if we haven't yet experienced your goodness, your grace, and your love, and your mercy, that you would speak to our hearts right now. There's not a prayer that we need to say. We don't need to, like, walk up to an altar. We just need to put our faith and our trust in you, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us so that we might experience your love, goodness, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.